On today's podcast, we are going to be telling you what we think are the most useful books for you to teach yourself how to make better financial decisions and learn more about money and with a bit of a focus on investing. Now, you might be expecting me to do this episode with my co-founder, Dr. Ed Cantello, but the kind of books that Ed likes to read for fun are accounting textbooks and chartered tax advisor textbooks, which I really would not recommend anyone to read except people like Ed. So we instead welcome back a special guest to the podcast, Dr. Zahid Bashir. And we are just going to talk you through some of the most favorite books of ours and why you should read them and give you a short summary of all of them. Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm a super busy doctor and I have no time to read. Yep, I'm also in that position as well. And that's why I absolutely love Audible. And Audible is just audiobooks, and it means you can listen wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whether you're picking up the kids on the way to work, at the gym. So I absolutely love it. It's how I manage to still listen to loads and loads of books. And if you're not sure whether Audible's for you, we are partnering with Audible to give you a one month free trial of Audible. So I've put the link in the description below. Click the link and you get a one month free trial. And I think you get one free book, which you can keep forever. So We'll tell you which books we think you should read or listen to. And then you can try the Audible free trial and listen to one of those books for free. Not only does this benefit you, but it also helps the Medics Money podcast because Audibles pay us a very small fee for every person that subscribes on the free trial. And that helps us to keep bringing you all the best content on the Medics Money podcast. So check out the show notes for the link to Audible. I really love it. And as much as I'd love to be able to sit down and read books for hours and not on end like I used to before I had two jobs, two businesses and three kids, that is just no longer realistic and Audible helps me to keep up to date. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Medics Money Podcast. My name is Dr. Tommy Perkins and I'm a GP. And my name is Dr. Ed Cantelo, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. And yes, you did hear that right. Not only is Ed a doctor, he's also a chartered accountant and a tax advisor. Medics Money empowers doctors and other professionals like you to make better financial decisions. As ever, this podcast is for entertainment only and does not represent any form of financial, legal or accounting advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. On today's podcast, I am delighted to welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Zahid Bashir. Hi, Zahid. Good morning, Tom. Thank you so much for coming back. I mean, you already did an episode with us previously where you told your story and shared what you learned in your own financial journey. But do you want to just give us the two-minute summary of that for people that haven't listened to the podcast? Because it is an amazing story. It's an inspirational story. You should be really proud of it. I know that you're very modest. And I think it's important as well so that people hear it. So hit us with your story in two minutes. Thank you, Tom, for uh, having me back again. So just as a recap, I came to UK in 2003. I graduated in Pakistan and did my early post job there and then came in November 2003, almost um, 18 years ago now, in a couple of weeks' time, with a very small saving in my pocket at that time and started training within NHS. And then after a few years, I moved to uh, Pharma and worked in research and development because that's what mostly interested me. And then worked in a corporate sector in different roles, 
Then I moved to my own consultancy work where I'm working with uh, different pharmaceutical companies working on developing new hematology and oncology treatments. And at the same time, got exposed into financial independence and started to follow that path as well, where I want to basically become financially independent. And essentially, my philosophy in that regard is very, very simple, to live within my means and save as much as I can and invest into a low-cost, low-risk, passive investments where I can focus on my work, which I love, and then investment can take care of itself. So essentially, that's kind of my backstory. And that's where I got exposed to medics money because essentially what you and are offering is exactly what I was thinking. So I think our path kind of crossed in a really nice way. And I learned a lot from listening to the podcast and the books and all the materials you post on the website. Yeah. And I think it's really great to have someone like you on a podcast listener, come on and share what you've learned and the secret to your success, if you will. And I know that we both love reading books to learn. And definitely, it's a large part of you know how I learned what I learned. And I know it is for you. So today, we're going to talk about our favorite books and what you could learn and how you might consider implementing some of the advice. And it's always good where you have differing opinions, I think. But unfortunately, we both agree that I think it is my favorite book of all time. I mean, we are talking about specifically investing. So The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. I think this is going to be a modern classic. It's in my top three books. So last time we did a really quick book episode, it was in the middle of the pandemic. We were absolutely, we nearly had to not do any podcasts because we're so busy with our day jobs as doctors. But my top three books are The Millionaire Next Door, Psychology of Money, my Morgan Housel, and Tim Hale, Smarter Investing. So I know that Psychology of Money is your favorite book as well. Tell us why. Essentially, I mean, I find that book interesting, not just for money perspective, but generally on life. I mean, there's so much life lessons there, which I could personally relate to. For example, one of my favorite chapters in that book is about risk and luck, the role of risk and luck. And he quotes one of the famous Nobel Prize winner economist, Robert Schiller, in that the beginning of chapter that essentially asked him the question that what in the investment you cannot quantify? And Robert Schiller's answer was that role of luck. And I think in our personal life, we sometimes give ourselves too much credit of the hard work and do not give enough credit to how lucky we are in life. Because I mean, I personally, in my story, as I mentioned to you, you know, came from a very small village in a, where you're living basically on not even pay to paycheck, but just on day to day basis, because that's how the laborer work in third world that you earn something and you put money on the table. And then being in a privileged position to go to medical school there and then come to UK and find a good job. There's so much could have gone wrong during all that life. And he, Morgan Hoss, of course, the story of Bill Gates and his friend who basically started the same thing at the same time, but he died on a hiking accident, which is can happen in one in million. And basically, that happened to him. And he wasn't there with Bill Gates to see the founding of Microsoft and everything. And I think reading that chapter made me really humble and understand that how lucky I am. And 
kind of counting your blessing on a daily basis. So I think more than investment, that book, Tom, for me is a life lesson. And money, for some strange reason in that book, is only a small part. It's all about what else is important in life and where the money plays small or a bigger part. And such an easy read with stories built into it. So I would personally recommend to anyone who is not interested in finances to read that book and learn so much around that. So yeah, I find that book really inspiring at multiple levels. I don't know. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing I would say is that it's my favorite book. It's your favorite book. It's only been out a year or so. I think it is going to be a modern classic. I'm not sure if I would recommend it for your very first read. As in, if you're looking to get started with investing and learn the basics, I don't think it's that great for that because, as you say, it doesn't really talk about money that much. But I think I just love it for so many reasons. Like you've already outlined some of them. The luck thing, I think sometimes luck is where opportunity and preparation meet, in my opinion. So I think, yeah, I agree. Like it was bad luck that Bill Gates's colleague died in the hike. That's bad luck. But was it luck that Bill Gates built Microsoft? I mean, a tremendous amount of hard work gone in there. He's made his own luck to a certain degree. So yeah, I'm not sure the luck bit was, I kind of disagreed with that a little bit. But you're right, it doesn't talk about money much. But what it kind of does talk about is what having good financial discipline and control of your finances facilitates. And so basically, Morgan Housel gives this great book, makes some really compelling arguments, really well-reasoned, really thought out. And then the last chapter is my favorite chapter because he does something totally bonkers, right? Which is he's got a super low interest mortgage, really good debt, as I would define it. That is low interest rate debt that's financing asset, which historically has increased. And most people would not say to pay off your mortgage if it's really good low interest rate debt. And he pays off his mortgage. And I love that because it wraps up the whole book perfectly. Like he's saying for him, his life experiences, his psychology of money means that he has an aversion to debt. And even though he knows paying off that debt was a bad financial decision because it's good debt, he paid off his mortgage early instead of investing some money. So I think the last chapter is, I mean, that is a massive spoiler, actually. Whoops. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. But again, he, yeah, again, he talks about one he likes um, really, what I like talking about what is reasonable and what is rational. And sometimes what is rational may not be reasonable and what is reasonable and is not rational. And I think that last chapter, I did exactly the same thing what he did in the super low interest rate. First <laughs> thing I did was to pay off my mortgage. And not that was before reading that book. And the sense of freedom personally that gave me was, I cannot describe in words basically, because you think, okay, fine, you know, there is nothing can happen. So I, he talks about that thing about, I can give the example of doctors giving paracetamol to the patient and knowing that fever is good and because that's body's reaction and it stimulates the cytokines and everything which goes beyond behind the scene. But he says, despite it's being rational not to give uh, paracetamol, every doctor gives it because that's the reasonable thing to do for the patient. So I think he brings everything to life in a way which is very understandable and easy to read. Yeah, definitely. So I would recommend that book. It's on my top three. Should we move on to talk about another book, which is on my top three, and I also see it on your book. And should we call it the Millionaire Next Door series? Yes, I think 
after Thomas Stanley wrote a book and then his daughter took over after the accident where he died after yeah, uh, terrible. because of the some accident uh, where some drunk driver ran into his car. So I think there are three books which are very similar with one you wrote, really nice summary, The Millionaire Next Door, which was slightly old book in uh, late 90s. And then his daughter updated that in the form of Next Millionaire Next Door. And very related to that is the book called Millionaire Mind, which essentially talks about the behavior side of what makes someone successful financially. So I think those three books can be read in conjunction. Yeah. So I've obviously read Millionaire Next Door and The Next Millionaire Next Door. I haven't read Millionaire Mind. But what I would say is that all three books, as you say, basically sort of make the point in many different ways that specific decisions, but also behaviors and your personality characteristics all align. And that can make you a good wealth builder, basically. That's the sort of two-minute summary of what the books cover. But I think there's so much more in these books. And I love the doctor's chapter. So if you haven't read The Millionaire Next Door, the doctor's chapter needs to be read. You're not what you drive. I also love that chapter. I think it's really important to realize these things. And then, yeah, I did listen to The Next Millionaire Next Door on Audible because with three kids and two jobs, I don't get to read as much as I like, but I love Audible. And by the way, if you want to have a free trial of Audible, there's a link in the description. But The Next Millionaire Next Door was fascinating to me because it is essentially an updated version of the original book, but with some modern kind of stuff. So they talked about the role of social media and that people that spend more time on social media have a lower net worth. So that was fascinating to me. Then all the basics again, net worth is your balance sheet. I love that. Income is not wealth. I think quite a few people might need to just repeat that to themselves slowly and, and work out how it applies to them. Earn interest, not pay interest. He would probably approve of your decision to pay off your mortgage early, Zahid, I don't know. But yeah, I thought it was really interesting, the sequel as well. So yeah, what else is there to take from these books? I mean, essentially, that is the really comprehensive summary. I'm sure there's much more detail behind it and research that goes into it. And one of the common criticisms, just to balance it, with everything that people say about Millionaire Next Door and Next Millionaire Next Door is that basically it is a self-selected book. Yep. If you talk to successful people, they're going to share success stories with them because that's the nature of it. But that's where people lose that idea behind the book that it's not about patting on your uh, on your shoulder or patting the successful and sharing their stories. It's just that what is a common in a variety of people in the businesses, the people who are low earning, but still financially successful versus those people who are living the lifestyle like successful attorneys in, in the US and doctors as well. And that Dr. North and Dr. South example is really eye-opening for the doctors. But that's where I want to bring in another book title is Everyday Millionaire, uh, Tom, which is by Chris Hogan. I know we talk about four books which have got millionaire title, but The Everyday Millionaire, again, the Chris Hogan, it's a very recent book and the guy works with Dave Ramsey, who is very famous in the US in terms of his advice to people become more financially independent. And that talks about, again, the book of people who basically like teachers 
like normal paying job. And I know your wife is a teacher as well. And we as a doctor, I know we are in slightly higher band of the earning, but it talks about the people who are on comedian salary and how they do little things correctly every day, every month, and then become financially independent in the long run, which is essentially what you want because you still want to live the life and the job you love. You want to do that. So I would strongly recommend Everyday Millionaire on top of the three books we recommended because it brings, again, the stories of the people who are everyday people and they can still be successful. Because one of the things going back to the Morgan Housel book is, again, he talks about that wealth is what you don't see. Because if you see something, then that only shows you that they have spent that much. It doesn't mean they are that much wealthy. And wealth is something which is hidden. And that's where it kind of becomes important that sometimes looking at the appearance and the social media point, which you mentioned about the millionaire next door and the semblance of kind of appearance, it may not be telling us the real story. Definitely. I think what I would say is don't be put off by the millionaire title. When I was 85,000 pounds in debt, a poor, impoverished junior doctor for many, 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 many years, people used to say money doesn't buy you happiness. Honestly, I wanted to hit them. Because right at that point, I was doing everything I could to just get money, pay off debt and try to scrape myself out of the hole that I was in. But I think the more that time has gone on, the what I think people mean by money doesn't buy you happiness is that it allows you control of your time. And for me, that means that I can choose to drop my kids off to school two days a week. And that just feels to me, it makes me feel wealthy. It's not everyone's definition of wealth, but when I drop them off and pick them up at the end of the day, for so many years, I wasn't able to do that. And so, yeah, don't be put off by the millionaire thing. I think these are really useful books. I still think the first book, even though it's out of date and has some kind of out of date ideas in it, all the millionaires and men, which is kind of, yeah. But I think it's still a good read. I wonder if this is a bit too much of a tangent, but in the next Millionaire Next Door, they talked about something which is interesting to me, which is the Vanguard Advisor Alpha Study which was first released, I think, in 2014. But anyway, if you don't know about Vanguard, definitely check Vanguard out, but not financial advice. Vanguard Alpha basically did this study that showed that if you used a financial advisor, it could improve your returns by up to 3% a year, right? So that is huge. And interestingly, it was not by what some people think, by picking hot stocks, trading loads of stocks, and going for the latest meme stocks, or buying Tesla shares or whatever. It was none of that. It was just holding what Zahid said at the start, a low-cost, well-diversified portfolio, but controlling your behavior as an investor. So if there's a downturn, don't sell. That's what the advisor just tells you to do that. Get your portfolio construction right so that it matches your aspirations because you're going to have to live with that portfolio through some thick and thin times. And if you've got a portfolio that's well-matched to your risk tolerances, your goals and aspirations, you're going to be able to stick with it during tough times. But what do you think about the 3% thing and the Vanguard Advisor Alpha? Because they did directly quote it in The Next Millionaire Next Door, I believe. I think personally, even before reading that book, I was having a conversation with my financial advisor and he said, to me, he said, do you know why you're paying me? And I said, I know why I'm paying you. Whatever percentage you need, is that because when the things will go pear shape, I want you to bring sense to me because there is no doubt I will panic 
when if I got 10,000 in my pocket and invested today and the market went down by 50%, I will lose 5,000. But in a big scheme of things, it doesn't mean anything. But if, for example, I invested 1 million ultimately and that goes 50%, that's basically half of my retirement saving gone when I got to that stage. And I said, at that time, this is what you are being paid for. Otherwise, I can pick all those funds myself. I can rebalance everything. So I think that, again, one goes back to your point about the behavior that you want to pick an advisor with research who can act as your left brain, right brain, right hand, left hand, and bring balance to the thing. So again, that's where one of the things we touched in our last podcast when we spoke about that controlling the charges and controlling the fee in the long run is so important, but at the same time, paying someone to help you navigate those choppy waters, just just bringing someone you can speak with is worth the investment as well. And that's where I personally sometimes do not go down the route of robo-advisors. Again, it's not a financial advisor, something that might work for some people, which can automatically rebalance, but I would rather work with someone who knows and can bring sense to me. So I think this 3% that gain and staying in the market and not selling when the things go down and taking that as a Christmas or New Year's sale opportunity to buy something more is you can buy with money, I guess, by paying a good financial advice. Yeah, I think, wow, so much wisdom in that. But there's a whole industry that's spun up around hyping up things there's a crash coming or this is the latest hot stock. What you've got to do if you're going to win at investing is ignore all of that noise. Zoom out on the chart. So don't look at a day chart. Don't look at a week chart. Zoom out on a chart of a global stock market index, well diversified, and just look at the curve. It's up and to the right. Okay. So in Zahid's example, stock market drops 50%. Okay. You only crystallize that loss if you sell when you're 50% down. So if your advisor helps guide you through that choppy water. When smooth sailing, advisors have an easy job. When it gets choppy, that's where they earn their money, in my view. And robo-advising, what do I think? I mean, I love robo-advising. We have a robo-advice service that makes money, as you know, because it allows people with really small amounts of money, £25, £50 a month, to get started. And getting started is the biggest thing. Compound interest is what's going to do. Compounding returns over time, many, many years, is what's going to make you the money here. And any barrier to get started, whether it be the cost of hiring an advisor or not knowing what you're doing, the more barriers we can break down, the better. So yeah, I share like what you're saying about robo advice. But I think for people that can't afford advice, and let's be honest, right? 12 years ago, when I started investing, I couldn't afford advice. That was me. I would have loved to have a robo advice service right then, because I was investing tiny amounts, 25, 50 pounds. And incidentally, I started investing in 2009. So after the 2008 financial crash, and if I'd read the papers, it was all doom and gloom and the world was going to end, right? But with the retrospectoscope, I was buying stocks at a tremendous discount. Like you said, it was New Year sale on stocks in 2009. So guess what? I bought a house and I bought some stocks with my hard-earned junior doctor salary. Didn't buy many stocks and it was a tiny little flat, but it's a stepping stone. You just got to get started. So yeah, I'm kind of interested in the Vanguard Advisor Alpha study. They just updated it in 2019. I mean, it's like a 30-page PDF. Only geeks are going to read that, let's be honest. But I've read it. <laughs> exactly. And this is the, what you need to look at as a doctor. Our whole life is focused on reading the research and making sense of it. And that's why we're talking today about the books that 
It's not spoon feeding. As you know, as you mentioned earlier, we're not providing any financial advice. Definitely Everyone not. has to do their research, but sharing our knowledge and our learning with other friends and colleagues is important. And one thing I'm going to just touch on that, which you mentioned, is essentially when we invest in stock market or invest in generally, we have to believe that we are investing in human progress. So this is a hopeful element which is there because if you look, go back to the Industrial Revolution in 1700 and see how things have moved on, even in our medical field, if you think about, I work in oncology and hematology, and since 2000, for example, the diffuse large B cell lymphoma sometimes I treat and work on actively is that the overall survival has gone from less than 20% to basically 60%, and same with breast cancer, same with heart failure. So there is a progress which is happening, and that, that goes in every single field. So essentially, when we are investing in equities, essentially we are investing or believing in human progress, that human will carry on making progress and tr- keep on finding the solutions which will carry on happening. And then second thing, which one of our favorite book we, we talked about a lot previously is you know, Smart Investor. Uh, Tim Hill, again, he talks, he starts with one sentence in one of his introductions, is that capitalism works, that you basically, you have to believe that it will work and market will carry on working in a way they are. Because if they don't, then whatever we do is going to be doomed to failure because there's no alternative. So essentially, you are investing in human intelligence and hope. And this goes so much true for the sustainable investment. I think we talked about one of your podcasts previously talking about uh, the ethical investment, sensible green investment. Again, this goes again, all those that we will carry on finding solutions to the problem as human we have. And if you invest into it, you will carry on getting the returns in the long run. Yeah. And just ignore the noise, ignore garbage, quick schemes. They never work. Don't buy individual stocks and shares, buy a globally diversified fund. Again, this is not advice. This is just worked. what's worked for me, what's worked for Zahid. Shall we move on to, I know you love this book, so I'm going to let you go first because I want to love this book, but there's a few problems that I have with it which might mislead less experienced readers. So I'm talking about How to Own the World by Andrew Craig. Essentially, I mean, the reason I love that book is, again, the point with Tom, you mentioned just in the last section, was getting a well-diversified global portfolio. So essentially, the key point which I took from that book after reading it, and he talks about the stocks and the equities, and then the commodities, and then cryptos, and everything else basically in there that essentially do not put your eggs in one basket. Essentially, if I know there is a polarized field out there about crypto, for example, and some people hate it. I mean, I think I personally haven't invested into cryptos because it doesn't fit into my philosophy, but I don't think if it is anything wrong, if it is part of your portfolio rather than your only portfolio where you're putting everything into there. And if you think about even People talk about that BlackRock has invested $2 billion into crypto fund. But you think about BlackRock managed trillions. So 
in their perspective, two billion is like a drop in a bucket or drop in ocean. So that's exactly the standard you're kind of looking at that you basically not be fully into stock market, not to be fully into commodities or gold or silver or copper or cryptos or uh, bonds, but have a share of everything if you want to. So essentially, it gives you, if something goes up, then obviously it brings your portfolio up. And if it goes down, it doesn't cause irreversible damage. So for example, recently, the squid game crypto, people are trying to get rich and put the millions into that. Someone put the tokens out there. And then someone is $2.3 million rich at the expense of the people who are trying to get rich quickly. So it is that balance which we need to strike. And I think that's the reason I recommend that book for people to read that because we are invested, interested in low-cost diversified index fund. But someone might be, some other doctors might be interested in other forms. So it at least gives them a perspective that there is a way to invest into everything you want as long as you cover the basics, basically. And as doctor, we do the same thing. And if some patient comes in, we don't diagnose them with the most kind of extreme condition. We have a differential diagnosis and we go through that list and then try to treat in a way which makes sense. And the same applies to investment that you start broader and then you basically make sure that you cover all the bases. Yeah. I mean, there's loads that I love about this book also. So I'm going to say number one thing I love is how to own the world. Which basically what you're saying is you know, diversification is probably the only free lunch in investing. And you've just given a great explanation of that. But just owning a bit of everything over a long period of time, in general, you'll be doing very, very well. And it's very easy. It's low cost. It's simple to do. You're not going to be trading stocks and shares whilst in the middle of a ward round. You're not. If you think you're going to beat professional traders as a doctor, part-time trader, I'm sorry, over the long term, you just got to be honest with yourself, you're not. So that's good. I love it. Also, it's UK-based, right? So instead of talking about like Roth IRAs and 401ks, all of the American books do, it talks about ISAs. I love ISAs. ISA, stocks and shares ISA. I love ISAs. So it's good from that point of view. And the premise, the basic premise is, as you said, buy and hold everything for long term and you'll be okay. So all good so far. I just think there's a few chapters where he went a little bit off piece. So one, at the end of the book, he starts suggesting about trading options. So I'm not going to talk about that today because it's very complicated. But options is a high risk, totally opposite to what he's advocating in the rest of the book. And yet he kind of advocates it as a good idea. So I don't know what you think about that. And also, he's a little bit obsessed with gold as an investment. I don't know what you think about gold, but I think as a store of value, it's okay. I don't like it as an investment. I, I do I'm not hold any gold. His, uh, most recent interview, I agree with you that option is not for me. Actually, I was talking to a friend last night who previously, he listened to the podcast we did together in December. Mm. And I sent him and then he came back to me and he said, oh, can I give you advice on something which is give you more return than the modest 5% you were talking in the podcast? And I said, please be my guest. <laughs> and he uh, talked about options and I went out and read it and I thought this is not for me. And then he came back last night and he said, I lost a huge amount of money in option. Can you now go back and tell me about index investing? Because I've learned less in the hard way. And the word he used is that if it is too good to be true, 
it is too good to be true. So essentially, I agree. But again, the point why we're discussing here that he talks about gold, he talks about crypto, and he updated actually the most recent edition of his book. So I think some of the things I hope he will tone down because I'm waiting for that edition to come down. But essentially, I found that odd as well. But again, when we read the books, we don't take as a word of gospel and see whether that will fit into our philosophy. But there's so much good about that book, which we can take and people can learn from. But I agree with you that crypto and option is not for us, not for us as a busy people. Some of our doctors might be mathematical genius and they might be able to do that bit on multiple things. For 90% of the medics working in a busy job, managing patients, managing families, I agree with you, this is not the right thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I think doctors are have a psychological disadvantage when it comes to investing because doctors, we work incredibly hard. If there's a problem, work incredibly hard to get into medical school. We work incredibly hard in medical school and we're always trying to be the very best that we can. And that's how we became doctors. And we do the very best for our patients. And if you translate that into investing, you might think that buying and selling individual shares and trading options and trading crypto might feel like you're doing the very best again. But actually in investing, if you read all these books, what you'll find is that set up your portfolio, low cost, and it's just low maintenance. You don't need to do anything. I mean, I check mine every year with my financial advisor, but I don't check it in between times because the plan has been set. The asset allocation has been agreed. And unless something massive happens, and I'm thinking about March of the COVID pandemic, where I did make a few changes. I mean, things were at a discount, right? So why would I not buy? But it's sort of a paradox that if investing, if you work as hard as you can and are doing loads of trades and stuff, you're probably going to do a lot worse than someone like Zahid, who just set his portfolio 20 years ago and probably hasn't tweaked it much since. So yeah, I do like that book. I just didn't want people to come away with it and think, right, uh, I'm going to start trading gold and buying options. And it's like, mm, no. As a head straight, I mean, again, I'm not into gold at all. But again, if the way I took the lesson was that, that it is as a hedge against the stock market crash. So it, it takes away. And some, again, if people were in, interested in gold, they need to go and read it because there is so much complexity behind it that buying actual gold and then paying for the storage facility you're getting versus the gold traded or gold hedged ETFs, which are available as well, which track the price of the gold. So there's so much complexity. So again, we are not advising. So if someone is interested in commodities, then they better do their research before. But the message I took it from that, that again, you don't need to be 100% into that. Again, if there is a portion of your allocation, so essentially you are spreading your risk. And something I wanted to mention here again, because he talks about crypto, and I think he plans to update the crypto section of his. One of the things which I really like what he talks about, the comparison between the dot-com bubble and the one with the crypto is the example. We're not saying that the crypto will be a dot-com bubble, but the example he gave that the companies, Google was one of the companies, Microsoft and Apple were one of those companies. There were other companies like Yahoo and Netscape and who remember Netscape browser, right? I do. (laughs) We're showing our age there. But for the younger people listening, Netscape was 
as far as I recall, was one of the first ever internet browsers, right? Exactly. So essentially, the point is that even if you are into crypto, then don't go all in into one or two. So basically, you do, again, do the same thing, construct a well-diversified portfolio. And essentially, one of the things Morgan Housel mentioned as well, that you don't need to pick a winner on every corner. You need just one or two winners in your horse, basically. And he gives the example of that art collector who buys art wherever he could see, basically. And even if one or two pieces of those became of Picasso or someone else, it was worth all the investment. So essentially, the strategy, if someone is interested in crypto, is that essentially construct a portfolio and have a well-diversified and again, if one or two of those turn out to be Google and Facebook and Apple and Amazon, that's what you need because who knows all the failures that went down with the dot-com bubble because you were the few of the winners you pick up by accident. They made up everything basically, which was useful for you. We've done really well to get this far into the podcast without quote from Warren Buffett, probably the world's most famous investor. If you don't know about Warren Buffett, check him out. But I'm going to throw one in if that's okay, because I think what he says is a lot of wisdom. But if you know nothing, buy everything. Okay. And once you realize that Zahid can't predict the future, I can't predict the future, most professional investors cannot predict the future and actually do not make a profit over the long term. Okay. And that's a really important thing to realize. Once you realize that, then you might as well just buy everything. And as Zahid said, some will win, some will lose. But on balance, if you zoom out on that chart and look at where the curve is going over a long term, the curve is going up and to the right because capitalism works and human race overcomes any endeavor, including a pandemic, which is definitely not over, but clearly it's much better shape than when we were last speaking. And you actually had COVID last time we spoke. So I'm so happy that you and your family have recovered. Thank Shall you. we move on? Yep. And again, one thing I very briefly want to mention here is the very small book, which I recommend again, like Psychology of Money, not for financial reason, but generally as a good book by James Mortimer called Little Book of Behavioral Investing. And it talks about the biases which are built into our human psychology and where those pitfalls and how to overcome those. So just as a doctor, I found that book really useful. And one of the things which most doctors who are working in consultant jobs are familiar with, especially in oncology, is MTD concepts, the multidisciplinary team where you bring everyone together. So essentially, there is a collective knowledge which is much, much better for the patient outcome than the individual knowledge of one or two specialities. So again, this is exactly the same concept is that the market overall, when we talk about market, not talking about stock market, but market where people put their ideas into one place, generally regress to the mean and works for everyone and takes care of the outliers, good or bad. Yeah. It's such a fundamental concept in successful investing, in my opinion, that beating the market, i.e. getting returns greater than the market average that Zahid just mentioned, is incredibly difficult. A majority of professionals fail to beat the market. And so as an amateur investor like us, if you think you can beat the market, just ask yourself why. And once you realize you can't beat the market, then you end up with a low-cost, well-diversified portfolio that tracks the returns of the market, low-cost, low-maintenance, carry-on 
doing your job as a doctor and building your wealth slowly. Cool. I see next on your list is a simple path to wealth, but I think that's by, is it J.L. Collins? Yeah. So essentially, I think we can skip that bit because again, it talks about the stock market and why stock market works. And as I said earlier, I can summarize the same thing, which we talked earlier, that if you invest into stock market, you invest into human intelligence. And if you're so pessimistic that you don't believe that human are intelligent enough, then there is something to be done about that. But generally, it's a very good book for someone starting to get into stock market. Yeah, I think it just hammers home low cost, well diversified, uh, simple strategy, buy and hold for many, many years. There's loads of uh, about American tax system, 401k and stuff. Just skip that bit. Yeah, it's basically a book which basically says buy well cost low diversified portfolio and hold it for many years. But it might be, sounds like I'm being flippant and not recommending it. You need to read these books to realize the reasons why that is a good strategy. Because if you've got a strategy that you believe in and you're confident in, then when headwinds come, like a massive market downturn at the start of COVID, you know your strategy, you're confident in your strategy, and you're not going to sell a discount and lose a load of money. So it's really important to just hammer that home. Next one is really interesting to me. The White Coat Investor, which is by Dr. Jim Darley, who is an American doctor. Tell us about this one. So essentially, there are two books which I want to talk about by the same author. One is The White Coat Investor, which is for more doctors who are kind of our level, who have gone through some kind of speciality training, either general for community physician, general physician, or consultant level. And the second book, which our younger colleagues will find really interesting, is called White Coat Investor Guide to the Students or Medical Students, basically. So I recommend both of those books for different reasons. And again, you have to miss some of the or, or skim over some of the American stuff because it is related to 401k and IRA and all those the tech systems. But the key message remains the same. And that's where I think I'm looking forward to uh, your an ad book, which is more UK focused in future, Tom, that where we can talk about the UK doctors, medical community investment strategies. But it talks about, again, one of the things which stood out for me in the White Coast University is that, again, he says, your income is not your wealth. Basically, it talks about whatever you take home, salary is. That doesn't mean you are wealthy. It just shows that the paycheck and again, utilizing the strategies which are there. So book is kind of broken down into, again, three parts. So one is general kind of medical part, and then it talks, give the education around stocks and bonds and the stock market and how to, and then the third part is about how to build the wealth while working as a doctor and still enjoying the job because there's no bones about it. We decided to go into medical school, follow this path where long scientific education and then long working long hours as a junior doctor, then going through speciality training and doing a job like we're doing or you're doing at this moment in time in pandemic and dealing all sorts of criticism from different quarters, but still trying to do your best. It's very stressful job, but we do it because we like doing it. We like helping our patients. And if in the meantime, we can build something and not to be stressful about the money side of our life, then that's basically best of both worlds, right? So that's where I think, again, 
American focused, but there are lots to be taken from different parts. And Joe basically can go into the second part directly in the book uh, without any spoilers and start learning about that. And then the third part is about how we can achieve the path to financial freedom while still working as a doctor. Yeah, I think it's, I've changed my mind. I think I might add it to my list because I didn't put it on my list because it's very American specific. I think some of it's a bit judgmental. I find, I'm sure he's not an abrasive kind of guy, but it comes across a bit like that. But I'm going to add it to my list because I think the underlying concepts are so good in that book. And yeah, it's definitely worth a read. And I also love it because he's a doctor who's trying to educate his colleagues about their financial health. Like, who does that remind us of? So I love what he's doing. (laughs) You just reminded me, I need to send you the proof of our book. So I would be very, very interested to hear your opinions of it because I work in progress for a long time, but I'm going to send you the hard copy proof. Let remind me at the end. Okay. Anything else? I'm aware, like I could talk to you about this all day, but any other books that you think people definitely need to read or any other words of wisdom? There's so much to be read about. And so we can put our list and get one of the things which wanted to do and work with you to write those mini reviews yeah. of the book on the website. So I think we can add to our different books on the list on that. But one of the, briefly, I want to touch about the other book, which I mentioned about the student book. So again, he talks about, as you mentioned in your story, you know, 85,000 pound debt, basically, while learning medicine and doing something, and you're not the outlier there. This is a common story of all the medical students who go to university because you collect that kind of unless you're born with a silver spoon, which many of our, I'm sure some of those are fortunate enough to do that, but mostly people are in that bracket. So it talks about that financial slavery as a student and how to avoid those and living on loans, how to pay for the professional school. And again, really American focus, but there will again will be lots of learning. I'm sure our medical students can take. And then second part talks about the part with what he calls residency, which is again very similar to our house job and speciality training as a registrar, and how to start investing while paying out your debts during that period. So like the student loan management and starting investing earlier on, so you can still basically save as much as you can and invest and pay off your debts. And the third about then part is about achieving financial literacy. So again, you don't have to read both books. If you are a more kind of senior doctor, then the first book would be very good. But for junior doctor colleagues and those who are still medical students and know lots of those medical students attend your podcasts and seminars and get in touch. And I think they will find this book really helpful. Again, written by doctor for doctors rather than a general book. So much of that which we said will resonate with our junior doctors. Yeah. And I think he's got a bit of a rags to riches story himself as well, because he came from humble beginnings and has put himself in a strong position just by doing the basics. Well, I just want to drop on something that you said there that some of our colleagues, as you said, might have been born with a silver spoon in their mouth. If that is you and you're a wealthy medical student, first of all, congratulations, because someone in your family has worked incredibly hard to build that wealth. So don't be sad about it. You know, Zahid wasn't born into wealth, neither was I, but you shouldn't be afraid of that. But someone in your family has built that wealth and you need to learn how to continue to build that wealth. 
So if you're loaded, this still applies to you, unfortunately. You might have a bit less debt. Great, you're starting ahead, but don't waste that head start. Brilliant. That was really useful, Zahid. And we're going to get the list up on the website so everyone can see the list. There's also the link to the free trial of Audible there. And I don't know if you like, or I mean, I love Audible, right? Because I used to read loads of books and then three kids, two jobs, life in general. Book reading time is incredibly precious now, but Audible, I love it. You just can listen to it on the way to work or if you're doing like the washing up or cleaning the house, I just pop an earbud in and I'm listening to a book. Are you into Audible, Zahid, or not really? I love it. And audiobooks generally, I mean, one of my favorite pastime is going for a walk, listening to the book. If I'm walking alone and if going with children, then trying to find some time in the household chores to find that time to listen to the books. And for example, this psychology of money, I must have listened to it about five times. So because every time you read, you go back and make notes. And sometimes I find reading and listening at the same time, doing that double sensual input, basically really helpful. So I love it. Strongly recommend it. All of the books on the list are suitable for audio except in my opinion, Tim Hale's book, because there's some amazing graphs, like a graph per page, basically. So Tim Hale, Smarter Investing, it's like a how-to manual of investing, but the graphs are worth buying the book for, I think. Brilliant. So good to catch up with you, Zahid. Really appreciate your input, your wisdom and sharing your story and just helping out our colleagues to make better financial decisions, which is what Medics Money is all about. Last time we dropped your contact details in because if anyone's thinking about a career in pharma, you are generously offering them to receive your wisdom. So is it all right if I put your LinkedIn on the bottom again? With pleasure. And so many colleagues got in touch already via, so I'm really grateful for that. And yeah, if I can help in any way to my other colleagues, then that would be my pleasure. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Great to catch up. And let's not leave it 11 months again before we catch up. Those 11 months just whizzed by. Did it. Take Uh, care. Looking forward to the next one and looking forward to some articles for the website. Take care.